Well, good evening. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 tonight. Chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, looking at Mary's song of praise, also known as the Magnificat. Now, Magnificat's a word that we don't use very often. It's a Latin word that means magnifies, which is the first word of this passage in the Latin translation of the Bible. And it's a fitting title. In this song, Mary magnifies the Lord. Now, of course, the context always matters when you look at passages of Scripture, and it matters here as well. The song comes after the angel Gabriel told Mary that she would bear a son by the Holy Spirit. And in response to that, that, that unbelievable message, she asked, how will this be since I am a virgin? And Gabriel told her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would be the mother of the Son of God. And then he did something interesting. He added this additional confirmation that nothing is impossible with God when he told Mary that Elizabeth, her, her much older relative, was also pregnant. And so Luke says that Mary went in haste to Elizabeth. I love that. When Mary arrived, she didn't even, she didn't even have to tell Elizabeth what had happened. She already knew. And she cried out to her, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, and Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And so they were joined by this, this common situation, which itself is a, a wonderful gift of grace to each. And Elizabeth's words when Mary walked in that day just confirmed what she had heard from the angel. I, I kind of think she must have walked in, heard that, and thought, yeah, I'm not crazy. It must be really true. Elizabeth didn't downplay what was happening in Mary's life. In fact, she magnified what was happening in Mary's life. And that might be one reason why Mary then magnifies the Lord through song. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. Mary's song is, really, we could think of it as the first Christmas carol. And it's probably the best Christmas carol. So let's read it now. Luke 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is God's word. Well, the wise man, Buddy the Elf, once said, 
the best way to spread Christmas cheers, singing loud for all to hear. My kids love that. You know, I think Mary knew that too. Now, this wasn't, a, this wasn't a performance. The song wasn't a performance. She didn't write it for a crowd. She didn't stand on a stage and sing it. She wrote it as a response to God, for God. It's, it's a very real and personal song to her. But God has used it to spread Christmas cheer for 2,000 years now. Her song is it's in a form of a Thanksgiving psalm. And she begins by thanking God. And then she tells why she's thankful. And as we look at it, you can't read it and not see how highly theological it is, how, how highly worshipful it is. And it's really kind of amazing that a woman so young could write this. I mean, Mary is probably no older than 15 years old at the time. And some commentators think it must have been some later edition that was added, maybe even written by someone else. But, you know, I don't think that's the case. It, it would be... I would grant it, it would be pretty amazing if an American 15-year-old wrote something like this today. Uh, but our day of biblical illiteracy was not the norm in Mary's day. Every young Israelite knew the great songs of the Bible by heart. They knew the great story of the Old Testament, of God's redemptive work. They knew the Bible really well. Mary knew it so well that commentators have pointed out that this song either quotes from or alludes to verses from Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1st and 2nd Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. That's a lot. Mary knew her Bible really well. But what else did Mary know? Well, there's a song that we sing this time of year that asks that question and People have strong feelings about that song because people have strong feelings about everything. But feelings aside, I do think that the question is good for our text today. What did Mary know? Her song tells us that she knew at least three things. She knew the wonder of Christmas, the purpose of Christmas, and the faithfulness of Christmas. First, the, wonderful, the wonder of Christmas. A.W. Tozer, the pastor in the 20th century, he once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Mary's song shows us what came into her mind when she thought about God. Look at the opening verses, verses 46 and 47. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, by soul and spirit, we aren't to take that as know, two separate parts in her, like there's some, I don't know, competing thing going on inside. It, it's, it's parallelism, right? It, this is poetic in nature. She's saying the same thing twice for emphasis. She's talking about the, the, the deepest core of her being, her innermost self, her heart. She's been touched by, she's been moved by, She's been captivated by God deep inside her. And her soul magnifies. Her spirit rejoices. Her heart, she's saying, worships God. And in verses 48 and 49, she tells us why she sings. She says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. 
and holy is his name. Now here's where this song, if we really think about it, starts to get pretty convicting for us. It starts to get really remarkable, I think. You see, Mary, Mary knew who she was. She knew that she wasn't a big deal in this world. Later, when Mary sings of those of humble estate in verse 52, she means those like her at the bottom, the very bottom of the social order. She was a nobody from nowhere. She knew she wasn't perfect. That's why she calls God her Savior in verse 47. She wasn't deserving of God's attention. She didn't feel that she was. But God had looked down upon her in grace and in mercy. And as she sings this song, she has, you can sense in it, there's this deep wonder that she has about this. She wonders, why would God do great things for me? Why would he care about me? Why will all generations call me blessed? Mary's response to the news of Christmas was, why me? Isn't that amazing? I mean, if something bad happens to me, I say, why me? But when something wonderful happened to Mary, she said, why me? She made no assumptions about her relationship with God. She didn't assume that she was deserving. She didn't think to herself, well, of course I would be the mother of Jesus. No, she didn't think that at all. She's a great example of the kind of humble amazement that really should mark every Christian. In a way, Mary shows us what true Christianity looks like. True Christianity is, it's a humble faith. It's not something done by you. It's something done for you. I like how Tim Keller puts it. He says, what is Christianity? If you think Christianity is mainly going to church, believing a certain creed, and living a certain kind of life, then there will be no note of wonder or surprise about the fact that you are a believer. If someone asks you, are you a Christian? You will say, of course I am. It's hard work, but I'm doing it. Why do you ask? Christianity is, in this view, something done by you, and so there's no astonishment about being a Christian. However, if Christianity has done something for you and to you and in you, then there is a constant note of surprise and wonder. So if someone asks you if you are a Christian, you should not say, of course. There should be no of courseness about it. It would be more appropriate to say, yes, I am. And that's a miracle. Me, a Christian, who would have ever thought it? Yet he did it, and I'm his. I love that. Christianity is, it's utter shock. It's all grace. So here's what this means in light of Mary's song. It means that if you are in Christ, and you have that same sense of wonder, Mary's song is your song. Yeah, she was blessed in a unique way as the mother of Jesus. And, and maybe you think, well, you know, it's, it's not hard to praise God when you've got Jesus inside you. But don't you? 
if you are in Christ, have him inside of you as well? I mean, doesn't the Bible tell us that we do? The Apostle Paul spends a ton of ink convincing us that Christ is in us and we are in him. Colossians 1, 7, one of my favorites, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the hope of Christmas isn't for Mary only, it's for you too. Every Christian is like Mary. And Mary is like every Christian. Mary's song is your song. This makes this eternally relevant. What moved Mary to sing was not so much the physical reality of Jesus, the baby in her womb, as it was the spiritual reality of Jesus, her Savior, looking upon her with his grace and his mercy. And we've all, if we are in Christ, have been the same recipients of that same grace and mercy. Her song is our song. You know, there's basically two ways to think about God. We can minimize him or we can magnify him. Mary shows us the kind of people that magnify the Lord. They they are the kind of people that ask, why me? They ask that in humility and wonder. They praise him for his work in the world and in their lives. And that's not to say that it's easy. It's not easy to do this. It's not easy to praise God when things are hard. I mean, if we really want to get down to it, think, think about Mary's situation. You know, it's easy for us now on this side to think, oh, that's, it must have been okay. It must have been easy to accept this. I mean, an angel appeared. An angel's never appeared to me. But was it easy at first for her? We don't get that sense when we read the biblical text. I mean, you, you think about Mary's situation. Without her doing anything but receiving the grace of God, she became a pregnant, unwed virgin. She was young, really young. She wasn't socially well off. It wasn't like, you know, this is going to be hard, but I'll be okay because of my family status. The situation could have sent her through a breakup. It could have sent her through a scandal, a public scandal. It could have sent her into a life of derision and exclusion. Her life could have been ruined by this news. But here's what's amazing. Instead of spiraling downward like I so often do, she looked upward. It's amazing to me. She magnified the What he was doing became bigger in her than she was. The opposite of magnification, of course, is minimization. We minimize God when in response to something he's put in our lives, we say, why me? In despair. In a way that looks out you know, we, we look for some way out of the situation he's put us in, where we, we just can't seem to trust that what he has for us in this, whatever it is, can be anything good at all. We minimize him when we let our circumstances get bigger in our minds than God's purposes. We minimize him when we consider our feelings greater than his word. 
We minimize him when we don't factor him into the, the moment-by-moment events and, and thoughts and realities of our lives. And we minimize him all the time, don't we? I know I do. And so we can come to this song and we can see that Mary's way is a better way by far. It's the biblical way. It's the way that we most long to live, really, isn't it? To have a life full of joy in the Lord, full trust in Him, accepting whatever comes our way because we know whatever it is, it has to pass through His hands first. Well, how do we get there? Well, we get there the same way Mary did. We consider the work of God. We really think about it. Not for a second when we go on to the next thing, but we, we dwell on it. We let it settle down inside of us. And we find ourselves in awe of who he is. We find ourselves captivated by him. Now, I'm not saying that's an automatic thing. That's not something that we can just easily stumble into. It's not easy for sinners like us to do this, but that can be our reality if we'll open our hearts to God. If we'll open our hearts to God moment by moment, we can live that way. Francis Schaeffer used a great phrase for this. I think about this pretty often. Active passivity. Now, it doesn't sound like that makes any sense at all. But active passivity is, it's, it's like putting yourself in the path of God's grace and then letting him do his work in your life. You're just standing there. You're just available. You're just open. You're just saying to the Lord, I, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what you have for me now. I don't know what you have for me in the future. I don't know that I'll ever understand all of this. But I'm yours. You can do in me through me, whatever you want. It's active in that it's this conscious effort with the help of the Holy Spirit. And it's passive in in that it's, it's, it's God who works in us, both to will and to work his good pleasure. It's our faith in his work. It's an active looking to him moment by moment like Mary did, just receiving moment by moment all that he is for us. And isn't it freeing to know that God isn't asking us to save ourselves? That he's only asking us to receive his salvation. Mary did that. And then she stood in awe and wonder and she asked, Why me? Mary sang because God had done great things for her. And he has done great things for us too, hasn't he? I mean, we're here. We just got to sing praises to God. We had this entire season devoted to thinking about God coming down to be with us. What we talked about last week. God with us. Shouldn't we respond like Mary? Why me? Mary's song starts out with a lot of personal pronouns, with me's and my's. I think it has to. 
I do. I think that that's just where we start, right? There's a very personal element to faith. God loves us personally, individually. But there's more. Faith leads us to consider God's grander purposes in this world, which is our second point, the purpose of Christmas. We see that by faith, Mary was kind of caught up into God's grand story. I mean, the, the middle part of the passage is, I don't know, it's, in a way, it's kind of weird. She starts talking about what God has been doing in the world. It's like, can you, can you just stick with you? I, I, I resonate with that. This, I think we have a harder time resonating with. She takes us to this grand narrative next. She extols the work that God has done in the world, what he is doing in the world. What he's doing for Mary is what he's been doing for all like her throughout history. It's the normal way God operates in the world. Look at what it is in verses 50 through 53. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown, his, shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. What? <laughs> What's she talking about? Why go here? Well, we first see this, this emphasis on mercy, this mercy that she's received, and she says something that's actually pretty surprising. God's mercy isn't for everyone. Who's it for? We'll look at verse 50 again. His mercy is for those who fear him. Now, the word fear means, it means reverence. It means those who, who honor God as holy, honor God as he really is, who look to him by faith. Those are the recipients of his mercy. And the wonderful thing about it is that it's not limited to a certain era. It's not like we've missed out on this by being in the wrong time. This offer of mercy extends from generation to generation. This has been going on from the beginning of time. God has been extending his offer of mercy time and time again. And all God asks of us is that we treat him as God and that we would just receive his mercy in humility. I love this because it, the bar is so low with God. It really is. But our pride can get in the way, can't it? These verses help us see how God relates to the proud as he, and how he relates to the humble. God humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. We know that from the Bible. That's a very rich biblical theme that we see from cover to cover. God humbles the proud. Verse 51, he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Verse 52, he's brought down the mighty from their thrones. Verse 53, the rich he has sent away empty. Now I think of the, the traditional American folk song. I, I like the Johnny Cash version, God's Gonna Cut You Down. It came on, on my Spotify playlist yesterday as I was driving down the road. You can run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God's gonna cut you down. There's just that that bite of judgment. And we're uncomfortable with that, aren't we? We don't want that. But that is God's word to the proud. History shows us this. All who set themselves against God end up scattered. 
He brings down the mighty from their thrones. And by thrones, Mary means those who are actually ruling. Think of the examples that we see in the Bible of this. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. Where are they now? They're scattered. When God comes in judgment, he scatters. He did it at the Tower of Babel. He did it to the armies that faced Israel in the Promised Land. And he still does it today. Now, on the other hand, God exalts the humble. Verse 50, he has mercy on those who fear him. Verse 52, he has exalted those of humble estate. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. So we can think of Joseph in Genesis. We can think of David and Goliath. We can think of Job in his suffering. We can think of Mary here in this passage. We can think of Jesus. When God comes in judgment, he scatters. But when God comes in salvation, he gathers. He exalts the humble. He brings them in. And which path is true for us depends only on our willingness or our our unwillingness to receive the reality of Christmas. Jesus came to save sinners. And so the question is, really, it's the only question. Are you sinful enough for Jesus? Do you need a Savior? Do you feel feel a need deep in your heart for forgiveness, for, for mercy, for grace, for some new start? Do you feel like you've ruined your life? You're not sure where to go next. Do you feel like you've blown it and there's just, there's no hope for you left? Do you feel trapped by who you are, by who you've become, and you don't know how to get out? been there. I'm still there far too often. But here's what the Bible says. Jesus came for you. In that mess, in that trap, Jesus came for you. Andrew Peterson has this amazing Christmas album. It's called Behold the Lamb of God. And he's got an amazing concert. Armstrongs were there with us the other night. Um, on that album, there's this, this haunting song called Deliver Us. Our sins, they are more numerous than all the lambs we slay. Our shackles, they were made with our own hands. Our toil is our atonement and our freedom yours to give. So Yahweh, break this silence if you can. Deliver us, deliver us. Oh Yahweh, hear our cry. And gather us beneath your wings tonight. Isn't that the cry of our heart? Christmas tells us that Yahweh has heard our cry. Jesus has come to gather us beneath his wings tonight. And he's not asking for any sacrifice from you. He's already provided that on his cross. 
And all he's asking from you is the empty hands of faith. He's asking you for, to just accept his sacrifice and just fall into his arms and just finally rest. Christmas tells us that God is not silent in the face of our deep despair. To the humble of the world, to the poor in spirit, to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, God has come. Jesus has come to gather you. In your fear and in your longing and in your despair and in your suffering and in your sins and all the rest of the terrible, horrible things that frighten you and wound you, Jesus has come to deliver you. Your sins are your shackles, but Jesus came to set you free. And if you want him, if you're willing to lay down your weapons of sin and rebellion, if you're willing to be weak enough to accept his salvation, to humble yourself before him, here's his promise. I will gather you under my wings where there is safety and refuge forever. Maybe you feel really low right now. And when you're that low, maybe you can start to think, I don't deserve that. I think that's one reason Jesus came as low as he came. To show us that you can't be too low for Jesus. He went all the way down. He humbled himself. To the point of death, even death on a cross. And now he is exalted. And I love how the author of Hebrews says that he's bringing many sons to glory. But if we don't want that, if we refuse him, if we set ourselves against him and we do all we can to minimize him, well, he's going to have his glory anyway. <laughs> we know how this story ends. All that you work for will be nothing in the end. He will scatter you. And, you know, maybe that's what you need. Maybe that's exactly what you need to be humbled enough to come to him. I don't know if that's what you need, but God does. And if it takes scattering to gather there's mercy in that too. <laughs> These verses are not just to comfort the humble. They are also a warning to the proud. So we have to heed both. They're both right here. To the proud, it's not too late to make, to make a change. Mary, Mary sang these verses in the past tense. But commentators point out that based on the grammar, Mary's also being prophetic here. These words are true not only of history of what God has done, but also of the present, what God will do. The comfort still stands. So does the warning. Jesus came to live and die and rise again. And so the question to us tonight is, will we accept the mercy that he offers? Or will we not? 
if we will, God will be faithful to have mercy on us. Christmas shows us the faithfulness of God. And that's our final point. Mary ends her song by looking back at the very beginning in verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Now in the, in the book of Genesis, we find the story of Abraham. God made a covenant with him. In Genesis 15, God and Abraham performed this, this covenant ceremony. In, in those days, two parties would, would cut animals in half and they'd, they'd put them on one end and they'd walk through those, those, those two slain animals together. It, it was their way of saying, if I break this promise, I will become like these animals. I'll be torn apart. It was an agreement to hold up their end of the deal or die. That was a, a traditional uh, covenant ceremony back then. But, but when God made this covenant with Abraham, he did something a little different. The Bible says that God put Abraham in a deep sleep. And at the time when both parties would traditionally walk through the separated flesh together, God walked alone. God was saying to Abraham and to us, if the covenant is broken by either of us, I alone will be torn apart. You, Abraham, you, Abraham's offspring, are not held responsible for upholding your end of the deal. This is mine to bring about, and I will do it. God's covenant doesn't depend on us. It depends all on him, on his faithfulness to bring it to completion. And then 2,000 years later, Jesus came and he said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Because Jesus had come. He had come to pay the covenant penalties on behalf of the party who broke it. We deserved death. But God made the promise alone, and he bore the penalty alone. Jesus died so that we might live. He came to make peace with God on our behalf. That's why we sing the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Jesus will gather us beneath his wings. We're safe in him, always. Not because we're faithful, not because of what we can do, but because of who God is, because he's faithful. And we have Christmas, and we have Good Friday, and we have Easter to prove it. And we have all of the, all of the Christians throughout all of history bearing witness to the truth of this. And so when Mary looked at God's promise to Abraham, she knew it was a, a promise beyond Abraham. It was a promise to his offspring from generation to generation forever. Abraham, she knew, lived inside the story God was creating for his people out in the future. But Mary lived in that same place too. In a sense, we all do, don't we? The promises of God are, are guarantees sealed by his spirit of the weight of glory that is to come when Jesus returns. And he will come again because he's faithful. 
no one can defeat his plan. Not even you. Mary shows us through her song that God's story, it's an everlasting one. It's a good one. It's a true one. It's a faithful one. It's one of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I say it this way a lot, but it's because it's so moving to me. It's a song for all who are weary and need rest. For all who mourn and long for comfort. For all who fail and desire strength and for all who sin and need a savior. This is your gift from your heavenly father. So will you take it and enjoy it? Let our souls magnify the Lord. And let our spirit rejoice within us. For God has come. And he is with us. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of this song. For the truth of your gospel. For the freedom that we have in Christ. For the glory that is ours because of who you are. Lord, I do pray that you would help us magnify you. That you would become bigger in us than anything else. That our days of minimizing you would be over. That we would behold you as big as you really are. And that we would be happy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.